Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mosaic Life Podcast. My name is Trey Kaufman, and I have the great pleasure of having conversations with folks from all over the world who are living their best lives. It's my goal to tease out their processes, their struggles, and their successes to help you live yours. I sincerely appreciate you listening, and if this is the first time you're joining the podcast, welcome. I would be incredibly grateful if you would take a moment of your time to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or in the Spotify app. It was such a pleasure speaking with my guest today. As you'll find out shortly, I briefly worked in a similar space to Leah, and it offered me some very unique perspectives as it relates to relationships and personal communication. But what I really enjoyed speaking with Leah about the most was the way technology is shifting how we communicate and develop relationships. It's not surprising that we've suffered negatively in some regards, but the freedom we're offered by our online selves can also be very empowering. Leah Sifor is South Africa's go-to life and relationships expert. She is well known for being a straight-talking, take-no-prisoners life coach, author, podcaster, and speaker whose work is all about what it means to be real. Leah delivers dynamic coaching experiences, facilitating breakthroughs, and giving men and women the wake-up calls that they need to create a non-negotiable life. Your journey to a more authentic life starts right here. Leah is one of the most booked personal coaches in South Africa, featuring frequently as a guest expert on South African TV and radio. Leah is the host of the Get Real podcast, has an online series called Real Talk, created the popular Lockdown Coaching video and podcast series, and is the author of two books, The Freedom Factor, an ebook on boundaries, as well as her recently published book, That's Not What I Meant, The Smart Savvy Guide to Real Communication. This was such a great conversation, and I'm excited to share it. Please welcome my guest, Leah Sifor. Leah, how are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Oh, I'm doing so well. I'm so excited to be able to chat with you. I hope uh, your start to 2022 has been fantastic and that uh, you're doing well. Remind me, uh, remind me exactly where you are in the world. I'm in Johannesburg in South Africa. Oh, that's great. Um, I, you know, I, I've, I've spoken about this before. I, I have some wanderlust in me, but I have not done extensive traveling. I've been around the U.S. and that's just about it. I mean, how, what's, I know this is a very loaded question, but what's life like in uh, South Africa? And I mean, what's, uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if you have the U.S. to compare it to, or I'm, just, I'm, I'm curious, I'm always curious to hear what other cultures are like. I've definitely, uh, I've been in the US, I've, I've traveled quite a bit in the US, I've lived overseas in a few different places, so, I, you know, I can say, I don't think that I'm biased because I am South African, I think there's a lot of pros and cons, it is, I still think, the most beautiful country on earth. That's great. I don't think that you find beaches or, you know, forests or just the most extraordinary physical beauty as you find in this country. I think it is unbelievably affordable to travel to if you're a foreigner. Yeah. Uh, I think you really get a lot of bang for your buck when you come here. So you can have fantastic experiences here that are not going to break the bank. 
Um, they are definitely the friendliest people in the world. I think South Africans are really welcoming and they just want to make sure that everybody who arrives on our shores has the best experiences. And I think a lot of people who've traveled here have experienced that. That's so. And, you know, of course, we have our same problems that everyone has, you know, government issues and economic issues and a lot of hardships to overcome, especially with our really awful history when we look at apartheid. And it's, it's, yeah. it is a country... At work, it is a country that is constantly evolving and shifting and developing, and we're very real, and we bring all our problems to the surface, and we don't hide our feelings in this country, and everything is very raw and quite direct. So that's quite different from other countries. That's quite different, and I think people get quite a shock when they come here and people are just so direct, but it's just how we are. Well, that's super interesting, and it kind of brings up um, an interesting question to me. I mean, here... I don't. I, I. I wouldn't say that we are super direct. Probably a little bit more passive aggressive than anything, wanting to downplay other people's ideals and think that they are lesser people because we don't necessarily agree with them. But you know, when it comes to face to face confrontation or even just communication, uh, you know, a lot of times that sort of that that communication falls apart. I, I mean, when you talk about people being direct, are do people have are they more able to have a nuanced conversation when people are direct? I mean, instead of letting problems bubble beneath the surface, do people bring them up with the hope of resolving them? I think it totally depends on the context of where you're bringing the conversation up. I think in corporate, everybody is very careful, um, very politically correct yeah. about how they broach things. But on social media, absolutely not. And I think social media <laughs> is – I think that's the same around the world. Yeah. I think people just feel brave enough to, to just let it rip on social media. Um, I think that South Africans don't beat around the bush. If there's something to address, we're not – and I think, you know, like you said just now, you Americans can be quite passive-aggressive. I worked for an American company, um, and it was very interesting seeing how you just – you can't approach a problem directly. You have to, you know, talk all the way around it uh, so that nobody gets offended and you're not pushing any buttons. And, and for me, you know, for South Africans, that wastes a lot of time. Yeah. It's like, let's just get it out and let's just address it and, and, and get over it. So I think it really depends on the context and, of course, what the topic is. Sure. You know, people feel very passionate about specific topics, which can escalate <laughs> a conversation quite quickly. But again, I think that's true of everyone. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we spoke previously, and I know it's been a few months, um, you had brought up the point, and I know it's probably the core of the work that you do, that relationships are uh, very much a two-way conversation and I think that's that can be forgotten a lot of times um, when you work with your clients. I mean, are you constantly reminding them of that fact, or are you just trying to be a mediator? You know, and that's that's under the assumption that you know there's issues to resolve. Uh, are you helping people have a conversation that can be both give and take, as opposed to one person, you know, screaming at the other? Of course, it has to be give and take. You know, conversation has to be both parties a being heard, yeah, but also doing effective listening. And the listening is the problem because, you know, other people don't have the same perspective as you. Other people haven't been raised the same way as you. They have very different points of view about what things mean, like body language or a tone of your voice or a facial expression. And those get interpreted in the wrong way. 
So I feel like most of my, my job around being a communication coach is really being a, a translator that uh, one will say something and the other one immediately gets defensive and goes, I'm not, I don't have to listen to this. <laughs> and I'm like, no, but you do. You just listen to what they're saying. They're not saying it. You know, if they didn't care, they would have walked out a long time ago. Yeah. You know, they're, they're saying it because it's important enough for them to address this and you can't just keep ignoring it. So we don't speak each other's language. We need to learn each other's language in order for effective communication to happen. So it definitely has to be a give and a take in a two-way street. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, you know, when it comes to, I think generally when we think of communication, we think about talking. I mean, we think about us being the ones that are actively saying something. And for, for this particular job of mine in which we're engaging right now, I would say that 80% of my job during these conversations is being an effective listener, which is not something that we're necessarily trained to do growing up. And when you help other people understand how to be an effective listener, how to actually listen with empathy, as opposed to thinking about their next argument and how they're going to win the argument against their partner or uh, colleague or, or what have you. How, how do you help somebody realize that they need to make that leap, that step toward in that direction, actually be able to listen and hear and empathize with what the other person's saying? I think it's really getting to what lies beneath. Like, you, you know, you're getting reactive with me, but why? What is specifically triggering you here? Yeah. Like, it's my tone of voice that I'm using. If we have a typical, you know, and I'm going to refer, refer to a lot of conversations that happen with couples because yeah. that's mostly the communication issues I experience and in the and in the workplace in corporate companies. But in terms of couples, it can be, you know, uh, darling, please, can you take the dishes to the sink? Oh, why are you always on my case? <laughs> you're always nitpicking. Yeah. Why can't you just let me rest for two seconds? And it's like, I didn't say any of that. I'm not nitpicking. I just in a very neutral tone said, please, can you take the dishes to the sink? But you're being triggered. And if you can stay with the reaction to observe it enough to say to your partner, you're having a very interesting reaction right now. I really want to understand why. What have I said or done that's pushed you into this direction? Because for me, I just said something really, you know, normal. You, you Maybe it got received in a way that was quite... Um, aggressive or or not pleasant but that's not how it sounded in my head so it would really help me if you could teach me what I sound like to you or or what my words mean to you so that I can change how I communicate with you and we have to teach people how to treat us and you've got to be willing to be taught so it's one thing teaching somebody else I don't like it when you do this or you do that but guess what they've got the right to say that same stuff to you so it's it's not being reactive to the point of leaving the room or checking out of the conversation. If you can just go past your reaction to hear what is really going on underneath, uh, you get a lot of lessons and you get a lot of clarity. Yes. I, I, I love what you said about teaching people how to treat us. I, I yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like that is something that we grew up hearing, and I, you know, I, that being triggered by you know that particular example, darling, can you please bring the dishes to the sink? Obviously, it it seems very innocuous on the surface, but to me, it makes me think that there. That has become an issue due to the history of that particular relationship. There are certain things that have kind of grinded away at the 
I don't know if confidence or the, the sense of, uh, of happiness or well-being in a relationship, but just things like that, even if it's a, it's a small trigger, just brings it to the surface. So I guess the question is how much of a history in a relationship or a friendship or any sort of uh, companionship is, you know, cause for those sort of trigger points? So much of the history, uh, you know, everything about your reaction has to do with the history of the relationship and how much work you've done to resolve stuff yeah. that that wasn't okay at the time. And and anyone in a long-term relationship or who's been in a long-term business partnership knows that they're just those days where things go terribly wrong. Yes. You say awful things to each other. You know you don't mean it. They know you don't mean it. But it's it's kind of brushed under the carpet as soon as it happens and it never gets revisited. And we have to be willing to go back and say the way I spoke to you earlier was not okay or the way you spoke to me, you know, we need to address this because there's always underlying stuff. And if you are not addressing the underlying stuff, then that fight will become the repeat pattern of your relationship because you're not addressing it, but you, you, you're constantly being triggered by it. So, you know, the history is that there's a lot of wounds, a lot of hurts, um, a lot of sometimes betrayals or actions that erode trust that goes on. And if you are not doing the effective work around your relationship to heal that stuff, then your relationship's not going to stand a chance because it's it's just, um, it like compacts around you, around your partner. And it just, every event makes it harder to chip through to get back to the heart. Yeah. And that's where that defensive layer comes up. And that's where the, the you know, the iron armor uh, comes on is if you're not addressing the stuff. So there's never too late to sit with your partner and go, look, we, you know, we've been together for 10, 15 years. I feel that we keep kind of bringing up the same stuff. And I'd love us to just work with each other to go back to where this started. What was going on at that time in our relationship? What is stuff that you've carried all these years about that, that you've never spoken to me about? This is what I can say to you. You know, if you're willing to have conscious relationships, then you've got to, you can clear your history that allows the current relationship to be far more present and free and connected. Yes, absolutely. You know, that seems like it's the concept of knowledge is power and it's great to be able to be cognizant of that in a long-term relationship. But if you are able to go into a new relationship with that, it can only be that much. I, I imagine it would only be that much better for your relationship in the long term. I, the, 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 the difficulty that I see, and I'm, <laughs> trust me, I'm no expert, is that, you know, when you get a new, new relationship, you have this honeymoon phase of, you know, three to six months mm -hmm. of pure bliss and you tend to ignore anything that may have triggered you in the past because you're just, you're, you're so, you know, happy and on cloud nine. And so, I mean, if you could offer it, that piece of advice for two people who are now in this blossoming relationship to have that open and honest conversation to have, to be cognizant of the things that may not sit well with you, but you're pushing them into the back of your mind. I mean, how, how, how would you work with somebody in that sense to say, hey, listen, your relationship looks fantastic, but I want it to look great for the next 30 years. Here's what you should do. Exactly. This is a question I get asked a lot is how soon is too soon to get very serious about the conversations when you first meet someone? Right. I don't know the answer to that. And I think it's completely independent, you know, dependent on the couple. Um, I feel, you know, you've, a, you've got to be clear about what, what dating is for you. If you're just out there having fun and you're out there to just explore and have some adventure, then no, that's not the time for heavy, intense conversations. 
if you've had a few dates, there's a very powerful connection. You're clear that this is somebody that not only do you want to keep seeing, but you actually want to get monogamous with. That would be the time to then say, listen, I love that where this is going. Uh, you've had previous relationships. I've had previous relationships. So let's like bring some stuff up of what our non-negotiables are. Yeah. I think non-negotiables is a good place to start because then you're putting those very clear boundaries upfront immediately you know like i'm never going to be okay with this and i don't um, i don't like it if you swear i don't like it um you know if you do this if you behave in this kind of way if you are rude to waiters you know talk about things that that you've been triggered by before um and ask your partner you know what they you know how they feel about this as you're talking i would suggest that you bring one or two things up in a single conversation don't have this huge brain dump right. of all of this stuff in a single conversation but you know you are dating so address things that you do in a date like eating at a restaurant how you behave socially drinking too much alcohol is that a trigger for you because your last partner may have been a big drinker just give one or two or three things but then also add the positive stuff. I think what people do too much, you know, they get too heavy about all the negatives. This happened before. I don't want to have it happen again. If you do this one more time, I'm checking out of here. A, you've got to give people the opportunity. They don't know your story. Right. They don't know your triggers. So it's really powerful to say, this is what I don't want, but it's even more powerful to say, but this is what I do want. And this is what I want more of. And I'd love it if you did this, because like I said earlier about teaching people how to treat you, the other person on that date is so nervous trying to make it with you. Yes. They just want to do anything to make sure that this goes well. So teach them how you want it to go well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for a bit of history on my end, uh, one of my early jobs in my career, actually, I, I worked for an in-person matchmaker here in town. And it was it was a super, I, I will always credit it with being the most interesting job I've ever had. And uh, it was it was fun to see that dynamic uh, when you're introducing, it was, it was, it was a heterosexual um, uh, matchmaking company. And so, you know, introducing men and women and kind of getting a feel for, you know, what nuance uh, he has versus what she has, you know, what has he experienced in the past versus what she is looking for. And, you know, one common trend that I noticed in that, and I, again, I'm by far, I'm definitely not an expert and that's why I'm leaning on you here, is that when people get out of a relationship, they tend to pick out all of the bad things that ex they experienced in that past relationship and move that forward into a sort of list mm -hmm. or ask list of, of things that they do not want to ever experience again. Do you, I mean, is that, do you kind of find that to be truthful? I mean, when people get out of a relationship, they, they have all of these things that triggered them that they hated and they will be, they, they will list those as non-negotiables moving forward uh, in their next relationship. Oh, absolutely. People are incredibly defensive, especially if they've come out of an abusive or traumatic relationship. Yeah. And rightly so. You know, if you've been in a really awful relationship where there's been psychological, physical, sexual abuse, of course, you are completely defensive about everything. Right. You are stuck in that fight, flight, freeze response. You're just seeing enemies everywhere. And you think everybody's out to get you because your survival actually depends on you being that alert. Yeah. So it's really critical if a relationship has ended in any way, whatever the nature of the relationship was, to take some time alone, to do the healing, yes. to work with somebody that can help you reframe a lot of your reality. If people have come out of a very negative relationship, they, 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 A, they're very pigeonholed in that viewpoint right. that 
well, he's a cheater, so all men are going to cheat. Or she was only with me for my money, so, you know, all the next woman, I'm not going to tell her how much I earn because, you know, I know that she'll only want me for my money too. Be careful of generalizing, yeah. you know, across across um, everyone else just because you had that one experience with one person. And if it's been a, a traumatic relationship, you do lose a lot of your sense of identity which is really important to get back before you choose to get in a relationship so that you know who you are offering to another human being. Right. So you're absolutely right. If you are not doing the work around this, you are going to keep repeating these same patterns. You're going to see ghosts where none exist. And here's the thing is that you're actually going to end up creating a situation where the person you're with will become the thing you fear because you are not allowing the space for them to be any other way. Yeah. You've made a decision, you know, if, if your last partner cheated on you um, and the way they were cheating is that they were always saying that they were working late in the office and that they had a big project that they were working on, that's now going to be a trigger for you. Right. And now if you get into a relationship with someone else and they say, oh, I, you know, I'll be late for tonight to come home, you immediately leap to, oh, he's having an affair or she's having an affair. Yeah. And you've got to be very uh, attentive to your own reactions around this kind of stuff otherwise your partner's never going to make it with you so healing is really critically important after relationships end yeah and i think you bring up a fantastic point because i i, I i'm speaking from personal experience here when you get out of a relationship the last thing you want to do or the last thing that you feel like you're capable of doing is being alone and so i've, I've seen so many times people just jumping into another relationship because they don't mm. want to be alone mm. with their thoughts and so that healing process that has to be so paramount and i mean i, I know mm. we spoke about shadow work in the past and you know i would love to bring it up here if if that is you know part of the process that you work with your clients on absolutely it is because you you've got these hidden aspects within yourself that you don't acknowledge and that you don't own meaning that you've got internal character traits that you keep hidden from the people around you and you've been trained to do this since you were really little so all you want to do is to be the best version of yourself for your parents because it's what your parents want yeah. they want you to be the you know get the top marks in the school and be the captain of the sports team and be the highest achiever and make them proud and and anything that doesn't fit that picture for a lot of parents brings a lot of negative response. And all children, every single human being on earth, I don't care how wonderful your parents are, has had this experience of doing or saying something that triggers a negative response from a parent. And it's scary, especially when you're very young. You don't want your parents to be angry. Right. So, you know, if your parents use phrases like, don't do that, don't behave like that, people won't like you if you speak like that you start learning at a very young age to shut down parts of yourself because you don't want to get those reactions from your parents. And you learn that there's parts of you that society are not going to be accepting of or that people won't want to be in relationship with. But it's only actually from the point of view of your parents. Yeah. And we mold ourselves into this version that is very, very one-dimensional to please everybody, all our elders, you know, all your caretakers, your teachers, your parents, your sports coaches. And this is where you get stuck in creating this, this persona or this act, as I call it, that you now move through the world in. And, and that's who you use to approach all areas of your life. And you will know what this act is if you just ask the people in your life who are close to you and who know you. It doesn't just have to be friends and family. If you've got close colleagues that you work with, right. ask them to describe you. And in a positive, you know, why do they love you? Why do they like you? Using three words. What three words would people use to describe you? 
oh, you're so kind, you're so trustworthy, so loyal, such a good listener, you know, those kinds of things. And think about individual people. What would my mother say? What would my siblings say? What would my father say? What would my boss say? And you'll actually see that a theme begins to emerge that, that most people across all different areas all use very similar words to describe you. Yeah. And that is the act. What you're hearing from everybody is that who's, that's who you present yourself to be in the world. But you do know that when you go home at night and you're on your own, that's not who you are. Behind closed doors, when nobody is watching, there are other versions of you. There are other parts of you that emerge. So that's kind of the idea of shadow is the shadow work is looking at these hidden parts within us. But how many of these hidden parts are actually wonderful? They're really empowering. And they can give us so much empowerment in how we behave in our relationships at work and just in life in general. And a big example, I think, for everybody would be the one of not being able to set boundaries. You know, I think most people are big people pleasers and they just want to be liked. And people really struggle to say, stop, I don't like that. It's not okay. Don't do it again. Because when you're a child, you're taught that you can't speak like that. No, you can't talk to an adult like that. You can't tell a teacher that the way they're hitting you is not okay. Well, you can obviously tell the generation I'm from where teachers <laughs> used to hit us because nowadays that wouldn't happen. Right. But, you know, we were caned at school, you know, if, if we were spoke out of turn. And we never had the right to say to somebody, the way you're touching me is not okay. The way you're behaving with me or speaking to me is not okay. Nowadays, children feel a lot more empowered to do that. Yeah. But, you know, if you're not taught that you're allowed to speak like this as a child, then why would you think you could speak like this as an adult? So that's when you allow your boss to speak to you like crap in front of your colleagues. And that's why you allow a partner to speak to you or behave with you in a terrible way because you never learned boundaries. But if you embrace that aspect of you, that very powerful boundary setting version of yourself, then amazing stuff can start to shift in your relationships. And and that's just a small example of how working with your shadow can really help you. Yeah, Absolutely. How, when it comes to reconciling the person you are around the people you care about, you know, the the good aspects, trustworthy, uh, happy, kind, uh, Mm. versus the person that you see when you look in the mirror, obviously there can be positive attributes and negative attributes and I think both circumstances, Mm. but how, I mean, how do you pick the... I'm, I'm not going to ask this right. How, I mean, how do you pick the positive ones that you really want to nourish and, and grow and be a part of you if, if you don't feel like they actually are? I mean, how, 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 how do you become the person that you actually want to be when you look in the mirror versus the person that others want to see of you? I, I just, I, it's, mm-hmm. I, that has to be a lot of personal work within itself. That's a great question. It's a great question. And it it is work because you've you've hidden that part of you for so long for most of your life, it feels uncomfortable going there. So yes, shadow work and, you know, there are amazing shadow work facilitators all over the world. Um, And and shadow work is something you do want a facilitated process. It's very hard for you to do this kind of work on your own, just because you're so good at denial and you're so good at at the barriers, you're not going to push through them on your own. So choose a, you know, just do a search wherever you are, you know, for for a shadow work therapist, Um, make sure that, you know, they, they, they do have the experience and let them facilitate some processes with you to go in and integrate. So integrate is the word here, is that you, you've you got to engage with this aspect of yourself to understand, A, when did you disown them? Like at what event happened in your life that caused you to detach from this part of yourself? Right. And, and why? 
And then B, it's what is what is the huge gift or the benefit or the advantage of having them back in your psyche, like of inviting them back in to be a part of the the, the gang, so to speak. You know, how what can they gift you? How can they aid you? You know, what is the, the good stuff? Because we always think of the shadow as negative yeah. and we really need to take that off the table. This isn't right, wrong, black or white, you know, um, good or evil, uh, light or dark. It's just the shadow means it's in the shadow because you don't look at it. So if you brought that part to your positive or to the light, what could actually start shifting in your relationships and at work and in your life in general? And then you've got to do the work to understand, well, what are the, the actions I have to start taking? What are the really limiting beliefs or unsupportive thought processes that keep me stuck in the place I don't want to be? How can I start changing my inner talk, my inner thought process to embrace this new version that I want to be? And, and you've got to, yeah, so that's the work you do is that you have to create a new habit of thinking and behaving. Uh, around your shadow but here's the good news is that if you can recognize that character trait in another person it definitely exists within you yes think about it you you wouldn't be able to recognize what that thing is in someone else if it didn't exist in you so if you see somebody as being so confident you have to know what confidence is to recognize it in somebody else meaning you already have it you just need to know how to access it Oh, that's such a great point. I, 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 I love hearing that. And it's I, thinking back as you, as you speak, I, I think back about through my history and the points of inflection and growth that I've had and realizing that there have been moments in my life that I, I knew I wanted to do better and I wanted to be better. Um, and I, I think so much of that was realizing that I'm not stuck. My, my life is not fixed, even though I used to think it was. I used to have dreams and I used to convince myself that nothing's going to change. I, I, I've, I've been alive you know, at that point in time for 20, 25 years and I, nothing has ever changed. So why, why should I expect it to now before finally realizing that I actually have to do work myself to actually get there? And so I think it was at that point in time that I went from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset and actually realizing that I'm fully capable of making change in my life. It's not going to happen magically. It has, it's going to take a lot of work on my end and a lot of um, introspection on, on my part to be able to get there, but it is possible. And, and I, I think so much of it is actually seeing other people who have done it uh, yourself and, you know, surrounding pe- surrounding yourself with people uh, who will inspire you. There's a, a great quote. Um, I can never remember who it's attributed to, but you are the average of the five people you spend most of your time yeah. with. And I mean, that yeah. is so true. If you're spending your time with people who are complaining all the time, if they feel like the world is against them, of course, you're going to feel that way. If you're spending your time with authors, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, people who are doing these incredible things. Yeah. You're going to be inspired by them and you're going to realize that you actually can be that person if you want to be. Oh, completely. And it's a very, it, it is so critically important um, to, to be very selective about who you surround yourself with. Um, there's a lot of neuroscience that shows that, you know, the, you, you, the more you spend time with someone, the more your brain waves actually align and you start thinking the same way, behaving in a very similar way. So you've got to be very careful about yeah. who you're surrounding yourself with because what does really tend to happen with shadow work is when you are now embracing these aspects of yourself that you have kept hidden for all of your life, around the same people who've kept you in that place all your life, yeah. they're not going to be very supportive of the change. 
they're going to think you either having some nervous breakdown or you're having some midlife crisis or, you know, something is very strange and the men in white coats need to come and take (laughs) you away because you're suddenly behaving or speaking in a way that you've never done in your life before. So be very aware to the fact that you might do some powerful shadow work to embrace your inner warrior or your inner fighter or, or, or a powerful version of yourself and then go and be with people who've known you your whole life and they do or say something that's not okay for you and the first time in your life you go stop it yeah. don't speak to me like that it is not okay they're going to there's going to be like this paralysis moment yes and they're going to go what what why are you, why are you speaking to me like that <laughs> what's going on with you you're being a bit rude you know they're going to get very reactive yeah. so prepare yourself for that stuff um, and, and you've got to ask yourself if the people that you really are surrounding yourself with are supportive of you stepping into a more empowered version of yourself. Sadly, a lot of the time the answer is no, right. meaning you've got to seek out new communities to be with. You have to seek out different people who are on the same life path, the same journey of exploration. Um, and there's a lot of that to be found. And this is where social media is such a wonderful thing, yeah. is finding people who are on those similar journeys to you. Yeah. Um, you, you bring up a great point. I, um, you know, one thing I'm very open with on this podcast is that I I quit drinking two years ago, just over two years ago. And that has had a profound impact in my life. But when I did that, obviously I wasn't spending time at bars anymore. And so the people that I only hung out with at bars, they kind of naturally faded away. Nothing against them, nothing against our friendship, but I have a lot of I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, what can I do to to quit drinking or to drink less? And, you know, I'll talk to them about it. I'm not an expert by any means, but the pushback or the hesitation, I guess, is, but I, I won't have anything to do with my friends. You know, I, I, the, the only time I ever see them is when we're at the bar and I, I'm like, I get it. I do. But if you want to become a better version of yourself, and if that definition of a better version of yourself does not include alcohol, then you need to consider that as a very real possibility. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think for a lot of people, it's okay to do that because what happens when you start a journey of self-empowerment is that your happiness or your success is not dependent on what goes on outside of you. Yeah. It's what's happening within you. And that is the, the, the amazing stuff that happens on a journey of, you know, breaking a habit, giving up something that's run your life for so long, walking away from a toxic situation is that it's really okay if other people don't, aren't okay with it or don't support it because actually all you're looking to is yourself for the first time in your life. You're really listening to your own heart, your own inner voice of where you want to be. And that's all that matters. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's hard for other people to support you on your journey sometimes. And that's also okay because they're on the journey they're on. Absolutely. You know, one thing I've kind of realized um, in the past year or two, and this is, it can it's probably borderline cliche is that, the relationship most important to me is the one with myself. <laughs> and, I, and as I say that, it, it feels very cliche, but I've realized that I am not going to be of any value to anybody else in any other relationship if I don't have a strong relationship with myself. Now, that's not to say that I, that's the way I've always operated. I have been in many relationships in which I was the one or I, I always felt like I, I needed to nourish her or nourish the relationship without focusing on me. But now that I've actually done the work to understand what I need to be a happy and content person, 
what I have with myself is, is, is more important than anything else. And it's not, I want it, and please correct me here if I'm wrong, but I, I, I wouldn't call that selfish. I would call it if I would say that if I'm able to be the best person of my, with, of my uh, best version of myself, then I'm going to be able to show up to any relationship, friendship better than I ever would have been able to if I don't like who I am or, you know, how I feel about myself. Right. Couldn't have said it better myself. It's absolutely accurate. You've got to, you are responsible for who you bring into any space. So if you are not managing your stress, your toxic behavior, your addictions, you know, your negative thought process, your whatever it is, then the, uh, the person you're in a relationship with, or if you're married with kids, they are going to constantly be your dump site. Right. They are constantly going to be where you bring all of this stuff to try and deal with it. Yeah. And, and it's dangerous. And this is anyone who's been in a relationship on the receiving end of this kind of behavior knows this. So being selfish, putting yourself first, you know, working on your own self first is actually the greatest gift you can give to anybody yes. you're going to be in a relationship with because it is a journey of taking full and complete ownership for your own behaviors, being totally responsible for your own stuff and never ever pointing the finger and laying blame at anybody else's feet for the state of your life. Yeah. So the more work you do, the, the, the more powerful, the more evolved, the more conscious you can be in all of your relationships. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you've been, you've been doing this for quite a while, right? Uh, you said over 25 mm -hmm. years. Yeah. How, yeah. <laughs> how have, I, well, I'm, I'm, I'm curious how, or what changes uh, you've seen in mentality and relationships. And I, you know, I, I kind of asked that in the context of the way technology has changed and how we communicate. And, you know, the word that comes to my mind is, is ghosting and how I'm sure that, you know, happened in the past, you know, prior to text messaging and all of that, but just how with the digital world and age we live in, how our, our psyches around how we develop relationships has shifted um, for better or worse. I'm, I'm just curious what you've seen in that context, in that time period. Mm, unfortunately, I'd say it's gone a bit worse yeah. for, the, for the mere reason is that people can get their needs met very easily yeah. elsewhere, especially when it comes to being online. And before social media, before, you know, the big, boom of the internet you know you if you were in a relationship there you were yeah there, there wasn't huge escape and of course there was there's always been the escape in terms of drugs and alcohol and and checking out of it but you know when I mean, stuff is not okay you can't hide that stuff and you can't just check out and and pretend it's not happening right um but nowadays you can nowadays people seek a lot of solace online through messaging through apps connecting with strangers who make them feel heard, who make them feel seen and valued in a way that their partners don't. And I've seen a huge amount more infidelity happens, not necessarily in, in actually having sex, right. but having emotional intimacy yeah. with another human being, which for me is far more dangerous because now you are creating a powerful bond with another human being. Yeah. And your partner has no idea. And people are doing this lying next to their partners in bed. Right. I'm not saying it's all negative, but it's, it's you know, obviously I see, <laughs> I see couples when they're in dire straits. Otherwise, they wouldn't come to me. Um, but, but I do hear it. I see it. I experience it in my, in my network with all of my colleagues that, that people are very quick to check out of relationship if you're not going to fill my needs right now in exactly the way that I want it. And there's an intolerance. There's this 
what's definitely shifted over the years is, is this instant gratification of I need you to be exactly who I want you to be right now. And if you're not going to be that, I will go and find it online. And it's it's that simple. So social media, yes, it has da- it is damaging. It's damaging because you also look at all your friends and family who are putting their fictitious romances yeah. or lives yeah. online, and you think that's the bar. You think, well, everybody else is so great. They're all happy. You're like, well, I'm doing something wrong. Or my partner, look at my friend. He he takes his you know girlfriend away every weekend. My boyfriend doesn't do that with me. So this this comparison that is born out of social media is really lethal. Oh, I hate that word comparison. I, I, it's not the word I hate. It's the the fact that we all do it. Um, whether or not you're comparing yourself to another entrepreneur, another author, another podcaster, or another um, just person or couple, it's, it can be so damaging to our to our happiness and to our, to our well being. And I, I don't expect you to have an answer, but I mean, because obviously it's the we're not going to regress. You know, technology isn't going to go back to the way it was in the eighties and nineties. No, it's only going no. to um, get. It's only going to continue changing. And at, at some point here in the conversation, I do want to ask you about the future of it, especially when it comes to the metaverse and online uh, um, communities. But I, I guess directly, I want to ask. You know, is there anything that we can do to pull back from that? Aside from you know doing the work to actually acknowledge that what we see online isn't real. Look, I think everybody knows that, you know, by this stage, everybody knows that what you're seeing online isn't real. You know, we all know it's a fantasized version, but our own lives sometimes become so dull and monotonous that we quite like the fantasy. We really like the, the idea that there's something exciting. What I would say is, is, is instead of seeking stuff outside of your relationship, it's being courageous enough to have the conversations with your partner to go I feel like there's some stagnancy in our relationship because I guarantee if you feel it, they feel it too. Yeah. This isn't like a one-sided thing. Uh, I'm feeling a bit like we've we've stopped exploring, you know, sexually or we don't have really cool adventures anymore or we don't go out on dates anymore or our communication has become a bit stunted. Like be the one to have the courageous conversation with your partner to say, I don't know how you're feeling, but this is where I'm at. And I just, you know, I just love being in with you and I, I don't want to be looking somewhere else to have these needs fulfilled. So how about we do some stuff together? And this is where you can, you know, explore a lot of online stuff as a couple as opposed to, you know, just going off in your separate ways. What I would say to a lot of couples is is very often there's one that's very tech-minded in a relationship and one that's not. Yeah. So one who knows, you know, and is going to embrace this whole metaverse with both hands and the other one who's going to go, oh, that whole thing is very strange. I don't understand it. It's a bit like NFTs. What does it all mean? It's right. weird. And if you're not willing to leap into the unknown with your partner and to go, you know, I don't know what any of this means, but, you know, stuff it. Let's just go and explore together. You, your relationship is going to drift apart. So, A, you're either the one initiating the courageous conversation or if your partner is the one bringing the courageous conversation to you, just be willing to say yes. I think people have to be willing to get out of their comfort zone and their fears of what the world is becoming or how tech has taken over. It has. We've got to just own that. Right. It's not going anywhere. Um, but if you keep pretending it's not there and it's not a big thing, then yes, your partner is going to find those needs met elsewhere. So explore and, you know, learn. There's no excuse in this day and age to say you don't understand something. Right. There's so much data and information about anything online. So if your partner is into something, learn about it, go online, 
say, oh, you know, I've noticed that, you know, you keep mentioning this. That's really interesting. Tell me what you've learned. Let's explore this together as opposed to just going, well, that's your thing. I'm not interested and, and you do your own thing and I'll do mine. Well, then why are you in the relationship? Right. And I, I guess I want to look at the flip side of that coin real quick. And, you know, so you have a partner who's willing to learn to explore with you, but the partner who kind of owns that, that let's just use the online on the internet as kind of a broad example, like this is my thing. This is, you know, I, I am here. This is where I get my freedom. This is where I get, you know, my community and they don't want to share because they are afraid of losing that, that feeling of being special outside of the relationship. I mean, how, what do you do in that instance? I mean, how do you work with somebody to, to open up to the idea of sharing their passions with their partner who kind of feel like they're, I don't know if entitled to them is the right way of saying it, but kind of feel like this, this is my thing. And I, I, I don't want to open up, open up to anybody else. Again, it's quite a hard one because people are absolutely entitled to have independent lives of their partners. In fact, I highly recommend you do that. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of couples that do absolutely everything together. It can get very stifling and very claustrophobic. But if the if the passion in that partner's life is becoming a, a big enough that it's occupying their focus and attention on a daily basis, that is a big red flag for me if they are unwilling to include you in that. That tells me that there's something going on there that they don't want you to be privy to, and that is concerning to me. Right. Now, if they've got a group of friends that they all get together and, I don't know, go, I don't know, do fantasy baseball or, you know, right. go and do something once a week or once a month, let them have that. Yeah. You don't need to be part of everything together. But if they are doing something online or they've got something that's now occupying three, four days a week of their focus and they are unwilling to share that with you, I would say you need to you need to be very awake to that and address that and say to them you are shutting me out. You are enjoy you're creating a life that does and 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 an enjoyable experience that does not include me. Yeah. And that is that is just going to go one way. Yeah. So you've got to be a bit um and if they say well you know I don't know you being you know I have the right to have my own life you go absolutely and we are in a relationship. We share space together. We have a life together. So it's also, that's not a workable statement to just say, I have the right to have my life. Then why are you in this relationship with me if what you want to do is shut me out? Yeah. And why are you shutting me out? Why do you feel you want to keep this separate from me? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, I, I do know we're coming up on 45 minutes here, so I want to be cognizant of your time or respectful of your time. But I, I, I did want to bring up, because I, I know previously you had said uh, you love sci-fi and fantasy, and that's why I did want to bring up the metaverse. And I, I, I I'm... I'm becoming fascinated with the idea of it, but I also kind of, I, I see the danger in that it can offer escapism from, you know, our real world problems. And I guess specifically in the context of relationships and uh, romantic relationships specifically, I'm just, I'm curious, I'm curious if you have thoughts on how you see that changing uh, the world in which we live in regard to how we date and how we meet. I mean, it's great that we can meet people from across the world in online communities, I just I, I worry that we'll be faced with secluding ourselves in a world that's not real and in relationships that aren't necessarily real or tangible. I'm just I'm, I don't know. I'm curious if you had any thoughts on that. Well, I think if we take the physical out of the picture, which is what would happen, uh, you know, where there's a huge amount of connection that does happen elsewhere. I'm not saying that if you're not physically, you know, in a space um, together, you can't be connected. 
Um, and it's a, it's a very interesting question. I haven't explored this topic enough to kind of have an opinion. Yeah. But, I, you know, when I'm thinking about it now, I'd say that people are much braver when they don't physically have to show up. Yes. I think people are much more willing to go into the taboo and to explore, you know, um, untouchable sides of themselves because it can be in a way a bit anonymous because yeah. it's not you physically or verbally or actually doing it. It's, it's in this altered reality. And there's like the separation of me versus that version, which isn't me. So I think we, we do see this anyway online is that people can speak in a way online that they would never speak in real life. You know, they, they behave in a way online that they wouldn't have the courage to in, in real life. And, you know, I watch, I watch my daughter's generation of, you know, all the kids come over to, to hang out with each other for the day. And right. then they all sit in corners on their phones <laughs> yeah. chatting with each other. And I'm like, it's really weird for me <laughs> that you don't look at each other. You're not speaking to each other. You're not actually physically doing anything together. You're just sitting on phones. I think, you know, we're already in that place where this, this generation um, of, of kids is, is just going to naturally evolve into this metaverse because I think they're already kind of on their way. So I think it's this, this gen alpha, um, you know, generation, yeah. they find ways to connect in very different ways. That's foreign for my generation. You know, I'm a, I'm a Gen X, a 1980s baby and I mean a 1970s baby, but it's foreign for me. And it, it's, it's hard for me to understand how people can find true connection in it. Yeah. But I think, I think they will. I think they will. And I don't know, again, it, um, so I'm a, a little bit younger. I'm a millennial. I was born in 85. And so I, you know, I, I got internet when I was a, a teen, I think. So I, you know, I've, I kind of, I, I came from no technology to all of this technology all of a sudden that I've kind of grown into it, but I was, yeah. I was forced to learn at a relatively young age, how to communicate, maybe not well, but to communicate. And then, you know, as, as time has gone on, I've been able to communicate fairly effectively and I, I think a lot of fear, and I think there is be some research being done, is that, you know, for kids who communicate only via text message, only online, and very rarely look into the eyes of another human being, we are really damaging their ability to communicate with others. And I, I mean, how much fear do you have uh, for that? Mm -hmm. Maybe not necessarily, or maybe your child, but maybe also, you know, others who are developing relationships from from that age or not, not, not that age, but you know, uh, younger Gen Zers who are developing intimate relationships, just only looking at screens as opposed to, you know, mm -hmm. looking at someone in the eyes, even if they are right next to each other. Well, the, the biggest issue for me is that, you know, a good 90 to 93% of the way we communicate is nonverbal. Yeah. Yes. So over 90% of the way we communicate has everything to do with body language and facial expression and the tone of our voice. And, you know, that's communication. Right. So if your communication is completely limited to text, you are communicating in the realm of like 7% of what communication is. Yeah. And the danger with that is that you don't know, you're not growing up learning how to identify subtle cues, how to hear a shift in tone of voice and what that shift means. Um, you know, how to identify discomfort in body language 
that leads you to understand somebody else is uncomfortable with what I'm doing. So I need to adjust my behavior accordingly. Like you've just got no social cues, yeah. you, you know, because everything is, is, is online and it is incredibly damaging because if you do actually end up physically with someone, you've got no idea what the rules are. Right. You've got no idea what the boundaries are. You, you can't pick up a facial expression to go, that person is not enjoying what you are saying or how you are behaving right now. Um, and I can actually already see this, you know, with with my daughter's generation is that they, you know, because I do a lot of coaching with the, with teenagers as well. Yeah. And the misinterpretations are huge. They will hear a parent or, or somebody say something and they only have a, a, a limited emotional vocabulary to go, well, you're happy or you're angry. That, that's it. Right. It's like no other emotion exists. And you know, when you're little and you go to the doctor and they've got the pain chart with the happy, with all the faces and the doctor will say like on a, which, which face are you feeling right now in terms of the pain in your body? I feel like we, like like the younger generations have lost the emotional intelligence to understand that there's a whole spectrum of emotion and they're not learning it because they are not engaging in that 90 to 93% non-verbal communication. Yeah. That's uh, that's incredibly scary. Um, I don't know. I, Trust me, I, I, I love technology and I am excited uh, to see where, where it goes. But I was just having a conversation similar to this and that, you know, as cars get smarter and as we have to do less and less on the road, people who are learning to drive are learning less and less on how to operate a vehicle, which can be very scary within itself. I mean, it's just, it goes to show that technology isn't just affecting us in one aspect of our lives. It's, it's affecting us in all of them. And if we don't Mm. remember how to do things on our own, we are in deep, deep trouble. Absolutely. Everything is outsourced outside of ourselves. It's, it's, we've got no sense of driving our own um, interests. We are not self-motivated. We are not creating our own realities because we're waiting for social media to create that or the metaverse to create that reality for us. So this is a whole different conversation of where then does our own self-responsibility take us? You know, it's, it's, it is, it's an interesting conversation. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, Leah, this has been such an incredible conversation. Um, I, I do have a few closing questions, but before I, I get there, I don't know if you, I mean, I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but I mean, if you could offer a kind of a piece of advice to how, how to move forward in relationships and dating, you know, aside from technology and how to do it in a way that's going to really create a strong bond between you and your partner. I mean, do you have a piece of advice that you can give people who are kind of finding that blossoming uh, relationship? I think that a sentence that always drives me forward in my life is this. How would the person I'd like to be do the things I'm about to do? Yes. So if I would love to be a really safe, uh, receptive, caring, focused, committed partner, how would that person speak in the way that I'm about to speak? How would that person handle the situation I'm about to handle? So you, you future pacing, you're putting yourself into your future self going, if this is what I want to create for myself, how would that future version of me do what I'm about to do or say what I'm about to say? So it takes you into a creative form of thinking of not just repeating the same old pattern going, well, this pattern isn't working for me. I would love to see a shift, but instead of expecting them to be the one to change, what can I change about the way that I'm speaking or the way that I'm behaving right now? So how would the person I'd like to be do the things I'm about to do? 
Oh, that's fantastic. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. I, I love that. Um, I, again, Leah, thank you so much. Um, I, I do have a few closing questions. And, and the first of which is, what resources are you looking for? I, I asked that question because this hour has been incredibly beneficial to me and I, I, I've learned so much and I look forward to sharing it. So I want to be as beneficial to you as I can. So if somebody's listening across the globe or even, you know, uh, near you and they can, they heard this conversation, they say, Hey, I can help Leah. I want to know what resources mm. you're looking for. To be honest, I, I don't know the answer to that right now. It's such a great question, and I and and I, I still don't have an answer. I think, I think my life is going to a big new direction. I'm moving to America. My family is moving to Boston this oh, year. Nice. And um, so I think I think I'm a you know I am an author and I do writing. Yeah. And something I'm really looking for in the states is a literary agent, so that I can look at getting connected with some publishers in the states. So that's quite a literal thing I'm looking for. So that's, uh, you know, I'd love to connect with a really great literary agent in the States that, for when I'm there and writing my next book. That's fantastic. Have, um, have you been to Boston previously or is this kind of, you're moving there as the first time? This is the first time. It's we're relocating for my husband's job and I'm really excited. That's, I'm really excited. So yeah, I've been to New York and I've done California. Yeah. But uh, I haven't, I haven't been to Boston. That's great. I, I do love Boston, but do me a favor: keep your accent the way you have it now. Don't don't adopt a Boston accent. Your accent is much much better. <laughs> no offense to Boston people. I'm too people. old to adopt okay. a new accent. <laughs> all, right, all right. My daughter, however, will probably be a full on Boston accent yes. in no time. <laughs> um, well, good. Um, yeah, we uh, look forward to having you here. Um, next question oh, for you. you. Absolutely. Um, if you could uh, name one book that's just had a profound impact in your life what would that book be and why uh the dark side of the light chasers by debbie ford I, she okay. is just the most phenomenal she's no longer with us but she i consider her one of my hugest mentors in my life and that book is was my journey was my starting journey into shadow work it's it's really profound she writes a whole lot of any anything by Debbie Ford is brilliant, but that was the single book that really shifted me on my life path hugely. That's fantastic. I had, um, I guess, prior to us speaking previously, I had not heard of that, so I I appreciate you sharing that, and I will of course put that information in the show notes. Um, and then, last but not least, uh, Leah, if you could offer um, a call to action that you either live your life by or that you employ your clients or your your friends, family um, to live their lives by, what would it be? Be afraid and do it anyway. I love that. That's such great life advice. <laughs> Leah, thank you so, so much. If people would oh, like to- such a pleasure. Oh, I, I loved this conversation. It was it was absolutely amazing. And I'm so thankful. Um, if people would like to find you online, as much as we've talked about online today, or if they'd like to contact you, what is the best place <laughs> for them to find you? Uh, so all my social media handles are at Leah C4, L-E-A-H-S-E-F-O-R. Um, and my website is leahc4.com. Very easy. Perfect. Leah, thank you again. I, um, I'm, again, I'm, so, I'm looking forward to sharing this, and I, I hope we have the opportunity to speak again soon. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'd love that. Thanks for having me. One more time, I want to extend a huge thank you to Leah for joining me on the podcast. It was an absolute delight getting to know her and learning about her experiences in relationship and communication coaching. If you would like to learn more about Leah, if you would like to connect with her, you can find all of her links in the show notes at themosaiclifepodcast.com. 
And while you're there, please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Trey Kaufman. That's where I post all of the podcast content, as well as a new video series I've started interviewing guests in short form video format, asking them how they're living their best lives. Again, you can find that on Instagram at Trey Kaufman. And of course, thank you so incredibly much for joining me on the podcast today. It absolutely means the world to me that you take time out of your day to listen to this. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would mean a lot to the podcast if you would leave a five-star review. Thank you all again so, so much. And until next time, take care, do better, and be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.